In the words of a New York Times opinion columnist, a striking thing about the American abortion debate is how little abortion itself is actually debated. Now, while the author noted things like habits of polarization and the assumption from both sides that the other side is always acting with hidden motives and in bad faith, I thought that this represents some bad and weak pro-life arguments that I've heard as well. Arguments that are well-meaning, that come from a good place, but don't actually get to the heart of the abortion debate. And so once again, today we talk about more pro-life arguments we encourage you not to use. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an episode of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the show, and with me again is my good friend, Cam. Hello, sir. It is good to be here, my friend. I, I find this such a fascinating topic, and, and we really didn't know how well the first episode was going to be responded to. We didn't know if people would already know everything we were talking about or whatnot. People seem to love it. Uh, we've had a bunch of people reach out and ask to do a follow-up episode on what pro-life arguments might I, be, might I be using, which isn't necessarily the strongest argument that I could be making, or maybe it's incomplete or based on, on, on false logic or something like that. I, I, I think that this can be a really valuable episode for a lot of people who are already active in the pro-life movement or whether that's having conversations on street corners or whether that's sharing memes or whatever online. Um, when we're having conversations, that's the first step. If you're having conversations, kudos to you. You are a champ for having conversations. Our job is to help you have even better conversations. Hopefully we, we can do that today, Peter. Yeah, that's right. And uh, just before we get in, uh, a few things. Number one, we have a merch shop. Check it out, prolifeguys.com slash shop. We also have a Patreon account uh, for those who are interested in joining the ministry uh, of the Prolife Guys podcast, getting good content out to the world, patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Cam, do you have something else as well that you want to share before we get into the actual meat and potatoes? Absolutely. I apologize if we're back to you before I thought about that. We actually have a contest. And it's not really a contest, but we really have a program that we want to pitch to you as our listener. What, what we're aiming for in this calendar year is to continue growing the program. And growing the program means getting into more people's earbuds and headphones and car speakers and whatever else they're using to listen to the podcast. And so if you get a short announcement that we've got on our website, we'll actually put it in the show notes as well, a very short announcement. If you get that into your church bulletin and you hang up one of the posters that we have on our website, if you do those two things at your church um, community, um, we will send you a free item from our merch shop. We'll cover shipping. We'll, we'll send you whatever you want. If you want a water bottle, if you want a coffee mug, if you want a travel mug, if you want one of our sweet t-shirts, um, you will get a free merch item from the Pro-Life Guys if you get a short insert into the bulletin, newsletter, whatever of your church, your community pro-life group, whatever it may be, and you get a poster up somewhere that isn't your bedroom kind of thing. Um, ideally, that's your, your church. Maybe your church doesn't have a bulletin board and we're not at, um, suggesting that you vandalize the church property and like nail it onto their door or anything like that, please. Um, but... Get that announcement in and we'll get you some free merch. Help us grow the show. Yes, and uh, do reach out to us with that. Um, you can do so uh, by emailing us, email at prolifeguys.com. You can do it through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our website, prolifeguys.com. 
Sweet. Cool. Cam, we'll put that in the show notes and, uh, and see what sort of responses we get. Now, when we talk about bad or weak pro-life arguments, Camp, I think um, I think you can have two postures with this sort of conversation. The one posture is we're going to put down these bad pro-life arguments because the ones here that we present are ought to be on a, a much higher pedestal than yours. That's one posture. That's not the route we want to take. There's also the other posture of, Cam, you've had over 10,000 conversations, as we've mentioned before. I've had way less, but still a few. And we've We've heard bad arguments. We've used bad, bad arguments. We've done a tremendous amount of learning in the time that we've been on the streets and we've been having conversations. And like we say time and time again, we want to share some of the things that we've learned so that you too can have those effective and win some conversations so that you too can be part of the growing movement who is seeing minds changed and who are seeing lives saved. And so we want to we want to help you out. So if these are pro-life arguments that you're using um, that we present as as weak and as bad. Um, don't take offense, please. Uh, but uh, like we've tried to, you know, throughout the, the course of time, we've been in the pro-life movement, take these opportunities to learn and to grow and to be better advocates for the pre-born. We want to encourage you to do the same as well. Um, I mean, Kim, we're not at the end of the journey. We haven't arrived at the best arguments and the best everything. We are on this journey together. This is a conversation we are having together. So let's uh, let's dive right in, sir, uh, to argument number one. We have three of these today, like the last time. The first one here, Cam, is that abortion's wrong. Here's the thing, guys. Don't have an abortion because there are so many people lined up to adopt your baby. This is something we hear. Um, I mean, the other side, the, the pro-abortion side uses adoption as a sort of you know if you haven't adopted that's justification you know that you're that, that that's reason that your argument is terrible your position is awful and not worth having um but this is an argument that we hear as well that some people use as well now cam we want to i guess um you know really understand this argument so could you speak to perhaps what is coming behind this argument what sort of uh assumptions perhaps are coming when someone presents this argument that's behind it. That was a very confusing way to say that sentence, but I think you got the. I think you got the it, gist of it. Exactly. Why do people use this argument? People. That's a fantastic this- way. That's a fantastic <laughs> way to sum up my uh, my my word jumble. Take it away. I I think there's a couple reasons why people make this argument, and they're good reasons, right? This is coming from a good faith position, and let's let's address what a lot of people make out to be an elephant in the room, which is just a real life circumstance for a lot of people. Fertility and infertility are massive weights upon the shoulders and in the minds of so many people, right? And for different reasons. I know a lot of people, good friends, extended family members, people that I love deeply who have infertility challenges in their marriages, in their lives. And it is devastating when they learn, whether it's when they learn or when they consider the fact that there are people on the entirely opposite end of the spectrum who not only are capable of bearing children, but are bearing more children than they want or bearing children at times that they find inconvenient or unmanageable. And so I have heard this argument made literally by people with infertility struggles saying, please just give me your child. I have been praying and begging and trying to find ways to have my own children. And I am doubly horrified by the fact that you have your own child and you are considering killing that child. 
And so I get why people make this argument, not only the lived experience, but also the statistical um, understanding that a lot of people have that, yes, in many provinces in Canada, I'm sure in many states in America and many countries around the world, there is something of a lineup. There's something of a queue waiting to adopt healthy newborn children. That's a fact. It, you might be waiting on a list in Alberta for over two years. But unfortunately, the thing that isn't often shared with that is that those that, that statement has two qualifiers in it. There are people waiting over two years for healthy newborn children. Tragically, in many parts of the world, there is an overabundance of children who are not newborn who have been placed in adoption after the newborn stage, whether as toddlers, infants, adolescents, sometimes even as teenagers. And tragically, many of those children are passed from foster home to foster home to foster home for various reasons. And sometimes that reason is because nobody is wanting to adopt them. And so this argument fails, and, and I'll get into why not to use this argument, but we need to be aware of that around the adoption system system and the fact that there are not only children who are not newborn, but also children who are not quote unquote healthy that are not being adopted as well. I know there's many beautiful families that have adopted children with various different genetic or physical or mental disabilities and have done phenomenal jobs. A, a great um, family that I'm very familiar with up in the Red Deer Lacombe area beautifully adopted um, at least one child with a very, very severe disability. Um, and there's many others who do that. But let's not mistake ourselves. Let's not pretend like there are not only enough people to adopt all of the children that are being aborted, but also that we are all heroically adopting all of the children that are available. Tragically, there are children in the quote unquote system who have not been adopted for a variety of reasons. Partly because adoption is really hard. I'm working actually on getting an interview lined up with somebody who is a director of an adoption service um, organization. Adoption is difficult for the biological parents, for the adoptive parents, and most importantly, for the children who are being placed in adoption. It is not a natural progression. It is hard for everybody. This is what we need to keep in the back of our minds. So that's a really long background on this. Why should we not use this argument? We should not use this argument for a lot of reasons, but most particularly because in saying this argument, particularly in isolation, we are inherently implying that abortion is only wrong because there are people who want those children. And if that is what we're implying, then the person we're talking to might take away from that if there aren't any more people. Say we've got this great lineup of 10,000 people willing to adopt any child and every child. And we place 10,000 children for adoption. What happens to the 10,000 first child? Does that make abortion okay if there aren't enough adoptive homes for that child? Is abortion okay in Kenya or Uruguay or Thailand because there aren't people lining up to adopt those children? Is abortion okay in Russia or other places where there are more children than there are people um, seeking out adoption? Yes, we need to make adoption more accessible. Yes, we need to better prepare adoptive families, all that kind of stuff. Let's not simplify the abortion conversation to abortion is a moot point because we have adoptive families. 
because if ever we run out of adoptive families, that doesn't reopen the abortion debate. We need to hit this with principle. And that's the last thing before I throw it back to you, Peter. Sorry. Um, what do you say instead? Common ground analogy question. Whatever reason they are using to justify abortion, you need to empathize with them because there are very real problems that people are faced with, whether it's the person you're talking to or whether it's a theoretical scenario. Find common ground, make an analogy that demonstrates the principle that even when there's inadequate support for parents of born children who don't feel as though they can continue on with that born child, we don't suggest um, killing that born child. Pivot to if we're not willing to kill born children, even when there's a lack of support or lack of adoptive families, why are we willing to kill preborn children? And then you get into the conversation of the human rights argument. I'm sure that we'll, we'll talk about that. If you don't know what the human rights argument is, you can check out many of our other episodes. Um, but just for the sake of time, and rather than saying it every one of these, I might say it at the end of the program. Um, but let's dive into the next one. Any Or anything that you wanted to add on that, Peter? No, I think that's fantastic, sir. Using uh, Finding common ground, asking those questions, and using analogies in the middle of that. And then the human rights argument as well. I was just thinking, Cam, as you were mentioning that for people who want to learn a little bit more about some of those things, um, some of those conversational tactics and apologetics that we use on our website, prolifeguys.com. Um, if you go to the resources page, there's a, a, a section called FAQs, FAQs. And if you have any question um, about the abortion conversation or anything like that, that we've covered. We talk about the human rights argument there. We talk about common ground analogy question. We talk about responding to a whole bunch of different justifications. Not all, all of them as we slowly start building this up and create as we create more content. Check that out though. That's a fantastic resource if you are stuck and not really sure where to have, um, where to take the conversation or how to go in the conversation. Cam, I think that's fantastic. And, uh, and with that, I, I see no other place to go than the second argument, the second weak and bad uh, pro-life argument that we hear used. And that is this, that mothers, you know, we're on the streets, uh, a pro-abortion person is chatting with us. And our argument is this, mothers just need to take responsibility for their actions. You should know that you might get pregnant when you have sex. And therefore, if you have sex and get pregnant, you just need to take responsibility for the result of your actions. Cam, once again, why are people using an argument like this? Okay, so let's, the the actual elephant in the room, this it can come across very, very often as a very callous argument. And some of you listeners who are, have been doing pro-life outreach for a long time, you might be saying like, pro-lifers don't actually make that argument. Nobody says that. And if they do, they just need to exit the pro-life arena. I know some very well-meaning people who make this argument they, they put it forward, maybe not in the super callous, like, oh, keep your legs closed. Don't ever say that. Ever, 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 ever. 100% of the time, never say that. Um, but also, I have worked with people and I have done um, outreach with people who take a very kind of maternalistic, paternalistic, parental take on this. That, you know, when I'm teaching my child about a principle, I am going to help them understand consequences. I'm going to help them understand, well, when you eat a snack too close to dinner time, the natural consequence is that you're not hungry for dinner. That might work with your small child. I have small children. I explain things very, very simplified like that to a small child. People make that argument because that is a logical argument for the in a lot of ways. Logically, it makes sense that people 
we feel like people just don't understand this. People just don't understand logic anymore. Therefore, we need to explain, even if it's very elementary, well, this happened for this reason. Therefore, you have to take responsibility. There's, there are major problems with um, shirking responsibility in our world. That's not how we want to communicate this, though. That diving into why we don't, so that's the background, why we don't want to use this argument is because in 99.9999999% of cases, you don't have a parental <laughs> relationship with the person you're talking to, right? And that's going to come across super condescending if you as some 18-year-old college student are talking to your 18-year-old college peer or even worse, your 24-year-old college peer and you're talking down to them in a, well, clearly you don't understand how biology works and you just need to understand this very simple principle and take responsibility. Like, I get that Jordan Peterson can pull that off and I get that that is a necessary message that we need to convey to our society. But guess what? You're not their parent and you're not Jordan Peterson either. If you are in a authoritative relationship, then you might be able to pull it off. But Peter, you and I are generally not talking about that when we're talking about pro-life outreach. If you randomly run across your daughter while doing choice chain, Probably not where you want to have that conversation about abortion over a sign on a street corner uh, where everybody can see that dynamic play out. Talk to them in a more private scenario. Um, obviously, as well, that understanding doesn't factor in non-consensual sexual relations. And I'm not only talking about the most severe and heinous crimes of sexual assault and rape. Right, This idea of needing to take responsibility for your actions doesn't at all speak to that very real circumstance for thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of mothers every year. Right, That don't make that argument because you don't know the situation, but also, and this, this is going to get into something that I, I'm not going to dedicate a tremendous amount of time to. Check out our colleague Jonathan Van Maren's work at thebridgehead.ca. He talks a lot about are, for lack of a better expression, messed up culture, and how they're, the society, the, the culture that so many teens and young adults are in, um, outside of, of Christian homes, and even sometimes within Christian homes, is they don't know where their value comes from. And so there are a, I mean, I, when we talk to the students at, at high schools and whatnot, I talk to these high school girls and they say, okay, but if I'm not hooking up with my boyfriend, then people are going to accuse me of X, Y, Z, and I am going to be a social outcast. And if I'm a social outcast, then I'm not going to get into group projects. And if I can't get into group projects, I'm, I'm, my grades are going to suffer. And if I have a baby now, then my career, people literally have the idea that their ability to live is contingent upon their ability to avoid whether they're potholes or whether they're other things. And they desperately need to avoid all of this on their track towards success. We talk about whatever that actress's name was that won that Golden Globe um, about how abortion was necessary for her to succeed. There are people who genuinely believe that, that the only way that their life is meaningful is if they fulfill their career ambitions or um, social ambitions or whatever. That's messed up. I get it. But you don't correct that by being like, well, you just need to take responsibility. And then a light bulb goes on above their head. They're like, oh my goodness, yeah, I'm going to overhaul my entire life um, because of that very minimal thing. And so what should you actually do? Very similar. You want to start, we talk often, Peter, you and I, about what we call heart apologetics. Heart apologetics aren't something that you tack onto your conversation. If all else fails, if you can't reach their head, then maybe try being nice to them and they'll agree with you. 
this is something that permeates your entire conversation and meet people where they're at. Yeah. When, I mean, heck, when, when I was, when my wife and I found out that my wife was expecting our first child, we have this beautiful two-year-old daughter. We have another child due in August now. Um, when we first found out, we were terrified. But like stable relationship, we, we owned a house. We, we were both in careers, all this kind of thing. We were in a very, very good situation. And we were terrified by the idea of becoming a parent and being a parent, right? And so empathize with the, the fear, the uncertainty, all of those emotions that go through the minds of any parent who finds out they're pregnant, particularly those in less than ideal circumstances, demonstrate the principle. We're not going to try to solve their problems. We're going to demonstrate the principle that when parents of born children realize that they are out of their depths or, or in over their heads, whatever expression you want to use, we don't kill their born children. We provide better support, better help, that kind of thing. What's the difference between born and preborn children? But the empathy, I can't emphasize enough the empathy necessary in helping them understand that in taking responsibility, we are taking on far more than pro-lifers often give them credit for. Because the idea of caring for a child when you're in a, a supportive church community or something like that is a lot different than taking on responsibility when you're a teenage girl with no support whatsoever around her. So empathize with them, still demonstrate the principle and navigate your conversation with that human rights argument that we'll get to. Perfect. We will get to that human rights argument just after this third bad pro-life argument. And that is this, Cam. Uh, the argument goes uh, something like the follows. Children are such a massive blessing. And even though you will likely lose some sleep if you have a child, which happens to be 100% true, and lose some time to spend on yourself, which is even more true, having children is completely worth it. And Cam, I, I, can, I can say a hearty amen to this, and I know you can as well. Um, we both have two children, and, and for many children are a blessing, particularly those, I mean, we have a, a Christian background, sir, um, not just a Christian background, but a sort of a Christian worldview that guides the way that we live and act and think. Um, and, and we happen to be, thankfully, in, in a stable marriage, in stable marriages. Um, and we're, I mean, children are a blessing because we see the sacrifices that we make um, for these children, there's a, an element of, of working towards the growth of God's kingdom and living a life of self-sacrifice. And so there are certainly uh, many challenging moments to being a parent. Um, our son just is in a, a period of life where like five or six times a night, he finds it within himself to climb out of bed and to jump into ours and to wake everybody up in the meantime. Um, sometimes stopping on his way and, and waking up his little brother outside the hallway. Um, so yeah, you, you do lose some sleep, um, but a blessing nonetheless. Now, Cam, we can say a hearty amen to this. We recognize, you know, why, um, you know, children are such a blessing. Uh, the scriptures talk about it all the time. Our experience, uh, has, has noted this as well, but why is this not an argument that we should use when we're on the streets, when we're at the March for life, talking to the protesters, when we're talking to someone at work, uh, or wherever it might be, why is this not the thing to say? I, I think that you give a really great background on it, and it ties into these two previous um, kind of pro-life expressions that we've we've already kind of analyzed, because the paradigm that we're looking at children from is so radically different than the paradigm that other people are, right? And and so yes, children are objectively a blessing, but trying to convince somebody in the midst of 
life's upheaval of, oh my goodness, all of my hopes and dreams and plans and everything are now out the window. Now is not the time to argue about whether or not this child is a blessing. That's not to say, again, that they're not blessings. Every child is a blessing. And without making a super utilitarian argument, I would suggest that children very often contribute towards the flourishing of those parents, regardless of whether they have a Christian background or not. And yet, rarely do you understand that flourishing right then and there, right? I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about this in his, um, forget which book it was, but it, it's basically when he's talking about the, the gratification of loving God and that um, the process of becoming Christian is kind of like the process of learning Greek, that once you learn Greek and you can read the beautiful poetry of the, the Greek poets, whatever, I, I don't know Greek, and so I don't know the beautiful poetry of the Greek poets, then you can look back at the Greek exercises that C.S. Lewis had to do when he was in school, because they still taught Greek then, um, and be like, oh, all of those exercises, all of that homework, all of that hardship was worth it. Sure, it's really nice down the road when your children are are laughing with grandchildren and you're cracking beers and you're drinking um, whatever and you're eating hot dogs and the big family reunion. Yes. When you look back then, you'd be like, oh, yes, that child was a blessing. At the time, let's not try to convince them that they are blessings, nor that they will be blessings, right? You don't want to say like, oh, your child will be a blessing because that implies that they're not a blessing right now. They are a blessing right now. It's just a matter of that's not the angle that you want to take when you're trying to talk to somebody, whether they're pregnant themselves or whether they're simply contemplating the abortion issue. It's not a matter of convincing them that their child is a blessing. It's a matter of convincing them that you cannot kill innocent humans to solve even the hardest of problems. It's a shift of direction because you need to use the language and principles that they're familiar with and that they're going through their minds and not things that are completely foreign to them, right? Because different people have different understandings of what is and what isn't a blessing. And now isn't the time to debate back and forth whether or not a snot-nosed, puking toddler is a blessing or not. Yes, they are a blessing. And so don't suggest that they're not. But don't make this the hill that you're trying to win the battle on of if only I can convince them that their child is a blessing, then they won't have an abortion. No, convince them that they can't kill an innocent human to solve problems and that we want to work with them to navigate the hardship that they're dealing with and let the blessing conversation come out when they're grandparents and they can look back at their lives and be like, oh, yeah, no, my child was a blessing. I can see that now. Um, same thing can be said with any kind of suffering, right? The suffering... Um, is a blessing because it drives us back to the Lord sort of thing. Yes, that's true. But the idea of offer it up, I Peter, I don't know if that was something that, that's been um, suggested around your youth conferences and whatnot. Oh, just offer up your suffering. Yes, offer up your suffering. But that is cold comfort for somebody who is in the midst of suffering. And so um, don't actually do that. Reframe. And as we're drawing to the end, I, I will reiterate for those who are new to the program, what the human rights argument is. It's four questions that anchor the conversation, not on whether or not a child is a blessing, but rather not, rather on whether or not we can kill children. Question number one, can we agree all humans should get human rights? Number two, can we agree that if something is growing, even from one cell to two cells to four cells, it must be alive? 
Question three, if that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human? And finally, doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? Those are your four questions. That's how you anchor it, not only in the language, but also in the principles that they're familiar with. And this isn't to deny the existence of God. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Christian. Peter, you're a Christian. We believe that the reason we have human rights is because God made us in his image and likeness so that we are valuable human beings. Like, don't get me wrong. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is the truth. And that's where the conversation can go in the future. But that's not where the conversation starts. The conversation starts meeting them where they're at, using language and principle that they're familiar with. And then as you pull those people out of the burning building, then you're able to dive deeper into what does it mean to have human rights? Why is human dignity something that we all intuitively know but have a hard time articulating? Questions that go into the the Bible story but may not necessarily be... Um, acceptable with where they're coming from at the outset. Hopefully that makes sense. What do you think, Peter? Sound fair to you? That's uh oh yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um I, I don't know I don't know what I what else I would say. I mean we've both been using these sorts of apologetics <laughs> and thought process for years. So yes, it certainly does make sense. Thank you so much for that. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to listening for listening to these uh, weak and bad pro-life arguments that we presented. This is six now. If you didn't listen to our first episode, um, I don't actually know what number it is, but uh, it was probably several months ago now. Um, I'm just checking right now just so that we. Well, while you were checking, I, I will re reemphasize what I mentioned off the top. If you get our short announcement into your church bulletin newsletter, community newsletter, whatever it may be, and you get a poster up somewhere, take a picture of both of them, send them to us, uh, whether through our various social media um, platforms or email at prolifeguys.com. Uh, we'll hook you up with your favorite swag item, uh, merch item, whatever it is, whether it's a t-shirt or water bottle or whatever it may be. Um, Reminder on that, we just want to grow the audience so more people are getting quality apologetics um, and news and whatnot. Peter, you find the episode number? I did, sir. Episode number 62. Don't use these pro-life arguments. Uh, so we have three other arguments there as well that we recommend you don't use um, and then recommend the arguments that we think you should use based on some of the experience, most most of the experience that we've had on the streets at, from door to, at door to door, uh, at high schools, colleges, universities, and elsewhere. Uh, when having conversations about abortion. So yeah, check out the link in, in the description for that little contest there. It's not a contest per se, but uh, offer, I guess. Um, don't forget to find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our website, prolifeguys.com. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Whatever you do, in whatever way um, you do it, I mean, there are bad ways and there are good ways, but so, so certainly do the good way. Uh, but do join us in the movement and do continue working in the pro-life movement. To, to change minds, to save lives, and to transform our culture.